you may have experienced in your life of following Christ, witnessing to others about the gospel and you're sharing with them and they're nice because they like you, most of them, and they listen, but at the end they say this, this has happened to me, if God is real and he wanted me to follow him, he would give me more evidence. He would make it clear. Why doesn't he show himself, this God that you talk about? Why doesn't he reveal himself? Have you ever have you heard anybody say that in a witnessing encounter? Something like that? And they might even say, if he would make himself known, I would follow him. I need a sign from heaven. And that's exactly what was going on in Jesus' day as well. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Find Luke chapter 11, and our text this morning will be verses 29 through 32 of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse, find verse 29. So here was Jesus, he was there, you could see him physically, in the flesh. No one in the history of the world, even to this day, has ever, with feet on the ground, spoken like this man did, with this kind of clarity, with this kind of accuracy, and as the gospel say with this kind of authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees would speak. He healed lepers. He healed the blind. He healed, healed the paralyzed. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He, one time he stilled the storm. In our account, he fed 5,000, probably 15,000 people, including women and children, with five loaves and two fish. It's not enough. We need an, another sign. We need more evidence. In fact, the evidence we've seen so far would make us think that you are empowered by the devil. Really. Prove it to us. Show us. Verse 14 of Luke chapter 11, And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Now look at verse 16. Remember this verse. Others to test him. Others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. So, Jesus with great patience and mercy in verses 17 through 26, uh, Jesus really deals with the claim that he casts out demons by Beelzebul. Then, he, in verse 29, he takes up those who were testing him and demanding of him a sign from heaven. So verse 16, now he's going he's to answer that question and that issue uh, in our text in, verses, in verse 29 through 32. Now, remember 
that right before verse 29 is verse 27 and 28. And so let's read that. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. And so what's in our mind as we come to verse 29 is the Word of God being proclaimed by Christ and actually listening to the Word of God and then acting upon it, observing it, changing something, doing something with the Word of God. That's the context of Him dealing with the demand for a sign from heaven. They said they needed something definitive. They needed definitive light. Do something. Rearrange the constellations. Bring us a mighty angel to rid us of these Romans. Do something. Show us a sign from heaven. We still don't see anything. We don't see anything. Let's find out how Jesus responded to those who demanded from a sign from heaven by reading our text that we're going to unpack. Verse 29, And as the crowds were increasing, He began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The burden of our Lord Jesus Christ through the author Luke here is to tell every one of us in this room that we don't need more evidence. We need to respond to the evidence that we have. We don't need more evidence. We need to repent. We don't need more evidence. We need to repent. We don't need a sign. We need sight. In His mercy, Jesus says that one more sign will be given to that wicked generation. And it's a sign that continues to have significance to this very day, to this very hour, the sign of Jonah still shines very brightly. What is the sign of Jonah? That sign is the theme of our passage and will kind of form our outline. So we're going to look at this passage under two headings. First, let's unpack, number one, the sign of Jonah in verses 29 through 30. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I could... Uh, the sign of Jonah. Verse 29, As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, 
and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. What is the sign of Jonah? Now, if you had the book of Luke only, and you read this, um, I think it would be clear in the context that um, the Word of God um, should be listened to, observed, as in the context is the, the revelation of the Word of God. Um, you have the sign of Jonah being present to the Ninevites in the person of Jonah when he opened up his mouth. Clearly, it's the proclamation of the message of Jonah that is part and parcel with the sign in the Word of God. When Solomon spoke in the presence of the Queen of Sheba, she heard the wisdom of Solomon and the proclamation of that became the sign in which she needed in order to repent. And, if you have the book of Luke, um, the issue here in this passage is that something, verse 31, something greater, verse 32, something greater is here. Yes, Jesus is greater than Jonah, you think? Yes, Jesus is greater than Solomon, but it's a neuter word, something greater. It includes the person of Christ, but it's much more. In fact, at the tip of the spear with the sign of Jonah, in Matthew's passage and in this passage, is still the proclamation of the Word is at the tip of the sign of Jonah. Obviously, it's the messianic signs were given that authenticated the man and the message. And we know when we compare this to an earlier account in Matthew that the sign of Jonah includes the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Because just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so also Jesus was three days, right? Three nights in the earth. And as Jonah was spit out, Jesus rises from the dead. That's not mentioned in Luke's passage, but I think it's wrapped up into the proclamation that we have here on this side of the resurrection. In other words, it's like a type. So you've got all the miracles of Jesus that have occurred for two and a half years. You're the devil, but it's right there. But he's preaching is the point. Preaching is always the point. Will you not respond to the authoritative word about Christ? The miracles underline the man and his message. And so also today, the last sign, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the pouring forth of the Spirit. And what was the big deal in the book of Acts? Was it miracles? No. It was the preaching of the Word of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The last sign was to authenticate and forever to authenticate the preaching of the Word of God. So it is not just the bare fact of the resurrection, nor it is just the bare fact of the person of Jesus. Something, all of it, the man and his message, which now includes the proclamation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, is 
the last sign. But whether you take it to be just the resurrection or you take it to be just the Word of God, I take a both-and approach to the sign of Jonah. The issue is this. Do you respond to the evidence that you have or are you still blind to it? So let's get to the meat of this passage. Number two, seeing the significance of the sign of of Jonah. Okay, there are two case studies here that Jesus uses about seeing the significance of the sign of Jonah. Number one is, see, and this is really what Jesus wants us to do, see like the queen of Sheba saw. This is the call. you got to see like the queen of Sheba saw. Verse 31, the queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The queen of the south is a reference to the queen of Sheba in 1 Kings chapter 10. I want you to take your Bible and turn back to 1 Kings chapter 10. And I want to show you how these passages are connected to help us understand not only the sign of Jonah, but most importantly, do we see the significance and respond to the last sign? So 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. Now when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with difficult questions. Does that word test ring a bell? They t- tested him and said, give us another sign. In verse 16. Verse 2. So she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So the queen is there now and all of her, her stuff and she's getting to ask questions. Some of, they're from her heart. Certainly some deep philosophical, I dare say religious, big picture questions were asked of Solomon that day. And I'm supposed some mathematics and physics and all kinds of things. He was a very wise man. And she was blown away by that. So Solomon answered all of her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king which he did not explain to her. No one was as wise as Solomon. You think about the book of Proverbs. I mean, love that book. The wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Yet something greater. Yes, a person named Jesus greater than Solomon. A greater king. But wisdom greater than Solomon. Truth greater than Solomon. A glory, a gospel, a good news greater than Solomon. Light of truth that shines brighter than Solomon is here in Jesus Christ. Verse 4, when the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon, when she perceived it, she saw it, she got it, she saw that it was wisdom, the house that he had built, the food on his table, 
the seating of his servants, the attendant of his waiters in their attire, his cupbearers and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. The queen of Sheba is blown away by the wisdom of Solomon and all the wealth and wonder of Solomon with which his wisdom procured all the ways that God had blessed him. And there's no more spirit in her. Don't think of that as negative, like, oh, I've been one-upped here. No, no. It's like she, give me a chair. Where's the chair? I'm going down. I cannot believe the wisdom and the glory of what God has done here. No spirit is left in her. If she doesn't sit down, she will fall down at what she has seen. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words. Your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports. No, no, I'm coming to test you. I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes have seen it and behold thy half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity beyond the report which I heard. How blessed are your men and how blessed are these your servants who stand right in your presence right before you continually and hear your wisdom right in your presence. How blessed are they? Does that word blessed ring a bell? Like in verse 27, blessed is the womb that bore you. No, 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 no. On the contrary, blessed. Be the Lord your God who... Blessed, I'm sorry. Blessed, Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and observe it. That's the context. And here's the same idea. Verse 9, blessed be the Lord... What? How does she know this? How does the Queen of Sheba know? Blessed be that capital L-O-R-D, the covenant-keeping name Yahweh. Think Solomon told her a thing or two? Theologically? Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted to, to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, He made you king to do justice and righteousness. And the Queen of Sheba uses the covenant-keeping name of God, recognizes the rightful kingship and placement of Solomon, flowing from the love of God for Israel forever, a king who would do justice and righteousness for Israel. Look at what she knows. All this came from the lips of Solomon. For verse 7 says, I did not believe when I started, but now I have seen and I believe. And so she responds by gifts, and you can read the rest of the account. I agree as that she responded in a salvific way to the wisdom of Solomon. We'll see her in heaven, the queen of Sheba. She became a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's enough evidence in 1 Kings to prove that. 
but it's sealed when we go back to the book of Luke. Turn with me back to the book of Luke. Back to the book of Luke, verse 31. It says, everyone there? The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold something greater than Solomon is here so the queen of the south and the Pharisees and scribes the men of this generation you're the devil the queen, they will rise up in the resurrection of both the just and the unjust at the end and there's a categorical difference at the end between the queen of Sheba and these men. Ah, she will rise up in condemnation. Look at the light that you had. And you didn't respond to that light? She will rise up and condemn them. She's a bit in a different situation in the judgment than they are. Oh yes, a believer in the Most High God. A responder from tester to responder to the light. Why would that happen? Well, the queen of Sheba responds to the wisdom of Solomon and is saved. The Pharisees see the miracles, hear the words that drip from his mouth like honey. And filled with jealousy and greed, they point a bony finger at them. You're powered by the prince of flies, Beelzebul himself. And she'll condemn them. Are you kidding me? Now, she's probably got you know, some good Persian and things. But the queen of Sheba, Sheba is located in Arabia, the southwest region of Arabia, a thousand mile journey to Jerusalem. She travels a thousand miles. Can you imagine the cost? Can you imagine the time to get there just to ask some questions? Here's a woman, Gentile, pagan, traveling miles. And men, who leaders, the best of the best religious Jews with Jesus right in front of them for two and a half years. Seeing and tasting. Hearing His wisdom. He's the devil. And the queen of Sheba will rise up and say, Really? She desperately wanted to know the truth about things. Her soul. Things in her heart. And the crowd, Pharisees, they demand a sign. No travel at all. Jesus is right there with them and they reject Him outright. So many advantages. They're Jews. They're leaders. They know the scrolls. 2.5 years of, it, of evidence from Jesus. They reject something greater than Solomon. Not just Jesus, but all of it. Mostly, yeah, they reject His miracles. They're done by the devil. They reject His words. It's blasphemy. 
This person is not who he says he is. He's a liar. He's a lunatic filled with the devil. There's no way he is Lord. But they got it. He is claiming to be Lord. Something greater than Solomon is here. And he's still here. He is here right now. He is in this place. He still speaks. In fact, I would dare say that his truth is brighter now. After over 2,000 years of church historical bloodletting over doctrine than it has ever been. And yet men today would dare not fall over at the truth of Jesus Christ. They'll fall over for all kinds of other reasons, but they need, just give me one more. You've got to give me more than what you've given me. It's not enough. He still speaks today. He's still here. He died. He's risen from the dead. The final sign has occurred. He still speaks. His word is truth. Paul writes about it, in, just listen, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And this is why pastoral ministry is built around these three words. Colossians 1, 28. We proclaim Him. That's it. What do you do around here? That's it. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul says, For this purpose I also labor, striving according to His power which mightily works within me. And he says, I want you to know, churches in Laodicea, I'm struggling in prayer for you. I want, verse 2, your hearts to be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the question here I have for each of you here listening and live right here today, do you see like the Queen of Sheba saw? What would she say about you? Sermon after sermon, you've heard the words of the risen Christ. Not yet. Too young. Gonna get the job. Gonna buy the house. Gonna get the spouse. Gonna take the trips. I'll get to Jesus. I need something more. I mean, do we respond to the glories of Christ, the greater Solomon, the greater Jonah, the shock and the beauty of the gospel? We're just, our breath is taken away by our own sin. Our, we lose our breath from our sin, and then we lose our breath that a sinner like this could be guaranteed to be forgiven and righteous in this one. Make you just want to sit down and be in shock over it, the Queen of Sheba? Or is this just boring? Another 50 plus. It's going to be one today. He's given you enough. You don't need any more evidence. He's proven that he's sinless. He rose from the grave. He's given us his word. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it, to respond to it, to believe it. Longing for truth like the Queen of Sheba. Oh, pastor, 
can let, let's talk. I've got something on my heart. I've got questions I need to get answered. You dig into the Word of God. You see the truth of God. And you're ready to observe it. You're ready to make a change because of something you heard in the Word of God. It's become real to you. You see like the Queen of Sheba saw. Well, number two, second case study, do you see like the people of Nineveh saw? Verse 32. Look at verse 32. Verse 32. See like the people of Nineveh saw. Verse 32. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment. Were the men of Nineveh saved at that time? Come on. You know your Bible? Yes. Another parallel evidence of the Queen of Sheba's. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation of the judgment and condemn it because they repented. There's the evidence. At the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So likewise, the men of Nineveh at the judgment repented at the preaching of Jonah. And Jonah himself and his preaching became a sign to the Ninevites, the proclamation of the Word of God, his message. Yes, maybe he told them his testimony about how he got spit out by a fish as part of it. We don't know because only one line from the sermon is preserved in God's Word. But ultimately, the, the main thing that the Ninevites got from his repent because there's judgment coming. And Jonah was fit to be tied that he had to share this message of repentance with his people. He couldn't believe it. He hated the Ninevites. They were an evil, despicable people. Enemies of the Jews. But he knew his God. God, you are a merciful and a compassionate and a forgiving God. I know what you're going to do. If I bring the word of repentance, you're just the kind of God that will forgive these people. That's who our God is. And that's the message that he has brought in the word of the cross. So, you know the story. Jonah didn't like that a bit. He got a boat, headed the opposite way, tried to get the bottom of the boat, fall asleep. You know, when you fall asleep, you sleep your problems away. He couldn't sleep his problems away. They woke him, they found him, they woke him up. The sea was churning. He's like, This is probably because of me. I'm running from God. Chuck me off, it'll stop. Ah, we don't want to chuck you off. That seems a little harsh. Didn't work. All right, you're out. They chuck him off. The wind stills. You know the story. It's a true story. He was swallowed by some sort of a large fish. We'll call it a whale, but we don't know. Big fish. He's preserved in that fish. He's vomited out after three days and three nights. God says, let's try this again. Shall we? I'm going to speak to you. Blessed are you now if you listen and observe it. And so, God comes to speak to Jonah. We pick it up in Jonah chapter 3. Take your Bibles and turn to Jonah chapter 3. Turn quickly to Jonah chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, <laughs> saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation 
which I am going to tell you. This is the word of God. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, and here's his message, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The message of judgment. And of course, I'm sure there were more information that he shared in his sermon. But the essence of the message is judgment is coming for your sin. And of course, when Jesus talked like this, they wanted to throw him off cliffs and they wanted to call him filled with devils and then they put him up on a tree and they killed him. But the men of Nineveh, the men of Nineveh say this, verse 5, then the people of Nineveh, what? Look at it. Believed. Believed. They believed in God. Just like the Queen of Sheba, they believed in God. And you know what believing in God is? It's faith in the Word of God. And true saving faith, when you know the faith is real, you know what true saving faith does? It turns. If you want to, you want to know what true saving faith is, it takes says, that's my sin, it's ugly, my self-righteousness is going to condemn me, I see that I'm in danger of the condemnation of God, and I'm about getting weak need over it, but you've told me about this one, I'm turning to Him, Jesus, I need you, please save me from that. That means that saving faith always includes repentance. Includes repentance. How do, what is that, how, how do you know? And they called a fast. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, he laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may what? Good definition of repentance. Turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. The men of Nineveh in verse 32 of Luke 11, it said that they repented. So this would be a pretty good definition and picture of what faith and repentance looks like, would it not? Who knows, the, verse 9, God may turn and relent and withdraw His burning anger so that we will not perish. And they know, who knows, God may have mercy and compassion and grace. Just a truncated form. Our Gospel with all of the 66 books of the Bible after the resurrection of Christ shines like the sun compared to the flashlight of this message in which they responded to the truth. And we need more evidence. We need more light. We need more of God. And they responded. And sure enough, and Jonah was sitting on a thing and he's all mad about it because sure enough, God 
relented in his compassion. In fact, how do you know? Verse 2 of chapter 4, For I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Our God is a God who will judge sin as our God is a God whose mercy triumphs over judgment at the cross of Christ. And Jonah knew it, even in that book. He wasn't happy about it. The question I have is, do you see like the men of Nineveh saw? That's the question that Luke wants to press in, that Jesus wants to press in. Do you see like the men of Nineveh saw? Have you responded to the preaching of the truth that you're sinful before God? There's a judgment coming. There is a resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees and the the believers, the Queen of Sheba, and you and me and everyone in the, the sound of this voice will rise again at the end. All of us will be fitted with a new body for eternity. A body fitted for, for hell itself and the lake of fire. A body that is so immortal but cannot be consumed. Or a body fit and a brain fit for worshiping and serving uh, and working and in the new heavens and the new earth forever. We're all going to rise. And where we go and what happens to us at the resurrection, whether we experience condemnation or relief at that time, will be depend on how we responded to the light that we have been given at the time we've been given it. And that today is this day. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. You don't need any more evidence. We have the Scriptures. He's alive. From the dead, respond to the light. Believe upon Jesus. You don't need to work for it. You can leave this auditorium born again, forgiven and righteous in Christ. What? My knees, they're getting weak. Are yours? At the truth? Of the one greater than Solomon. Of the one greater than Jonah. Who still speaks because he's alive. And he's well. And his word is alive. And it's well. He still speaks. It's still relevant. Do you see Jesus? You don't need more evidence. You need to repent. That is the message of this passage. Now, believer, listen to me. Blessed are you if you hear the Word of God and observe it. You know, we don't need any more evidence either on the sins that we are playing with. He has spoken clear enough it's time to make a move. It's time to repent. I will, let me challenge us by saying something. It's a little bit hard. Hang with me. Us. Me. When was the last time that you made a change in your life because of something you read or heard in the Word of God? That you made a change. You change something. 
that you repented. Because if you're going to make a change, it's repentance and faith in the Word of God. When was the last time? I'm helped by Heath Lambert's uh, book where he talks about repentance. Maybe write this down just to keep this really practical as we close. Because this is a call by Jesus to be blessed by listening to the Word of God and observing it. And so in, a, in the context, we see that observing the Word of God is believing it, which is evidenced by changing something. That is the idea of turning from that and making a change. That's repentance. And repentance and faith are the life breath of every believer. Am I right? Constantly, this is what we're doing. That's why our prayers are, what about, are about what? We need the Holy Spirit to show us our sin so we can believe this truth and we can make a change. And, and thank goodness we have a Father who's going to give us the greatest gift of all in the context, the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that we might listen and observe the Word of God, which looks like repentance and faith in the context. And so the acronym for repentance that I want you to write down from Heath Lambert is this. Ready? It's simple. CAR. Easy to remember. C-A-R. What does repentance look like when you come to the Word of God? C. Confess. You say, Lord, this is me. I see in the light of the revelation of Your Word that it is sin. That frustration has been sugar-coated. It is anger. I see it. I've got to turn from it. Confess. Second step. C-A-R. A. Okay, this is important. Affirm. Repentance. Affirm God's forgiveness of your sin. Okay? Affirm God's forgiveness of your sin. This is precisely where many of us have what we've forgotten to do. We, have, we affirm that the cross of Christ... And him being the greater Jonah in the belly of that whale that he's come forth and he's conquered our sin and death. He's alive and, he, and he's living and he ever lives uh, to pray for me that my faith would not fail. We believe that he is our father, that the cross is enough for us, that the righteousness of Christ is that we affirm the verdict that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's part of turning, we've got to affirm God's forgiveness. And then three, we request. Confess, affirm, and request. God, I need your grace to change now. Father, I need that good gift. I need to ask, I need to seek, I need to knock to, give, to get that gift of the Holy Spirit so that I can continue to change based on listening to the Word of God and responding to the Word of God. Christian, you don't need more evidence. You don't need, you don't need ten more meetings with me on the on topic of that. You need to repent. I need to repent. We need to make a change based on the revelation of God's Word. Luke 16, 19. We'll end with this. Luke's going to make a big deal out of this point that we have in this everything that we need. We don't need more evidence. 
Luke 16, 19, now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, besides even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died. And he was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame." But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, the one in Hades, in hell, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. I've got five brothers. In order that he may warn them so that they will also not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. We don't need more evidence. We need to repent. We don't need a sign. We need sight. We have the last sign. The preaching of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 